Attention Talking Simpsons listeners, we have a special mini-series just for you. We're going through the entire first season of King of the Hill, and you can only hear it if you're a $5 and up patron at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. We're giving the Talking Simpsons treatment to all 13 episodes of King of the Hill's first season, and if you want a free sample, you'll find the first episode available for free in the Talking Simpsons feed. Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. It's the only place you'll find the first season of Talk King of the Hill. Made you go click, 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 click. It's real easy, man. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy, everybody, and welcome to Talking Simpsons, where we paint your wagon with blood. I am your host, the always drunken, violent Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? Henry Gilbert, and this is really more of a millhouse thing. <laughs> and who do we have on the line? Damp trousered paw, Matthew J. Exactly. <laughs> Today's episode is all singing, all dancing. Ugh, I knew I should have shut that window. Today's episode aired on January 4th, 1998. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real-world history. <gasps> oh my god! Happy 1998, Bobby! The Great Ice Storm of 1998 begins in northeastern U.S. and Canada, which will cause 36 deaths and widespread power outages Ooh. for most of January. And for me, like, a ton of school I missed. Oh, so okay. Great. Like, you I were think two weeks of school we missed. Jesus, yeah. wow. It was fantastic. Matt, were you a victim <laughs> of the Great Ice Storm as well? In I was eight. I, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, but also, Sonny Bono dies in a tragic skiing accident. But even more tragic, the final episode of Beekman's World <laughs> airs. I, oh, ev- no. Every day I put a rose on Beekman's grave. Paul <laughs> uh, Zaloom? Is that him? I, has I, he come back like uh, Bill Nye has come back? I found pictures of, I mean, I don't think he's made new things, but I've seen pictures of him at like a convention in his Beekman costume, and it, it looks sad. He's he's quite old. I appreciate it. He, uh, he had a Wienerville-esque uh, failed attempt to revive. He was talking a few oh. years ago about starting it again, and it just didn't take. You know, Beekman's World was the mad TV to Bill Nye's SNL. It was. People didn't give it enough credit. <laughs> it was a good show. It was a good... I agree on both counts. I, I liked it as a kid. I actually remember I did watch the last episode, only because it stuck out to me that they the third and final segments was explaining farts. Uh. And I, I think it was... Them going like, if this is our final day, we have to do farts. Like, let's not. We've avoided farts this long, but now they can't stop us. I actually think of Beekman's world every day when I bathe because one thing he said uh, blew my mind on the show was about learning how soap works. Uh, and dear God, I hope this is not Bill Nye, but I think the line was, soap makes water wetter. And uh, that tells you how like, soap breaks the surface tension of water and allows uh, things to like slide off your body better. So uh, that could be how soap works. I just remember the line, soap makes water wetter every time I bathe. And that's <laughs> Every day, folks. Uh, I just think that wonderful rat costume. Oh, uh, yeah, Lester uh, the Rat. Now, that was a good character. That's, yeah. Bill Nye didn't have anything like that on his show, man. I had a huge crush on uh, the young woman on the show. Oh, um, me too. Name, Eliza? Eliza Schneider. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, and she's like a big voice actress, too. She pops up and stuff all the time. Uh, yeah. She was in she was in Kingdom Hearts 3 as Elizabeth Swan. Oh, from wow. From the Caribbean. Okay. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, so I was looking wow. her up recently because I played through Kingdom Hearts 3, and I was like, what oh, that sounds, what was that voice? And I found it. It was the woman I had a crush on from Beacon's <laughs> World. That's amazing. She's still at it 25 years later. That's pretty That's pretty impressive. And, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, Sonny, Sonny Bodo's death, it, it was tragic. It was sad. I, kid, I remember being shocked at it. I was just like, when 
the cartoon characters hit trees when they ski. It's uh, they're fine. It's very it's, comical. It's quite funny. I mean, if you're rich, number one, stay out of planes. So stay out of flying planes. So yeah. don't fly your own plane. Number one. Number two, get off the slopes. You're too rich for that shit. Uh, Go tubing or something. <laughs> And it also was like, it wasn't just that Sonny Bono, the famous person, died, but it also was like a sitting congressman died. Yeah. Like he, was, he was in Congress. So it was, kind of, it was, a, it was a shock to the world. I, I felt uh, also bad for his then current wife because everybody just wanted to talk to Cher. Like, Cher, aren't you sad about this? And it's like, you know, he has a, he has a current wife Well, now, it was called know? Sonny and Cher, not Sonny and some other lady. <laughs> Nobody wanted the Sonny show when Cher left in the last season. No, <laughs> no, that's why he became a congressman. Nobody wanted wanted sunny uh but yes that that brings us into the start of 1998 can you believe we've been doing this so long oh my god we started in 1989 and now we're in 1998 nine years of simpsons time we've done so far yes yeah Mm. in in five years four four wow almost four it'll be four (laughs) in june yeah Uh. this is a this is episode 911 guys oh i don't know if you noticed that the 11th of the ninth season yeah Uh, I knew The Simpsons predicted 9-11. <laughs> but it's it. not a disaster. So this is two, <laughs> yeah. uh, one of two episodes that were ran by David Merkin, the showrunner of seasons five and six. So he ran this and the episode The Joy of Sect. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he had access to all of the other writers. It feels like he did with The Joy of Sect, at least, because it does feel like a real episode, unlike yeah. The Springfield Files and um, Sherry Bobbins, yes. where they did not have a full writer's room. Yeah, I think I th- well, I think he did have access to the full writer's room, too, because uh the coding on this is 5f24 yes it is in the season nine official production so he just really show ran the last two episodes of mike scully's uh, 5f season nine production season as opposed to the 3g production code episodes that al Jean and mike reese did with their very small satellite group of, of writers yeah i didn't know this was number 23 so I guess they were trying to give Mike Scully a break. Like, you're new to this. Uh, we'll have, uh, you know, Oakley and Weinstein jump in and Al Jean and Mike Reese jump in. Oh, and- no. Joy of Sect is 23. This is 24. Oh, this is 24. So wow. this is technically the last one in production season nine airing in the middle of season nine, which never, ever, ever happens. That That's is- not their Oh, because they only platform. had to animate four scenes. Eight yeah, minutes. Right. Yes. Eight whole minutes. <laughs> are, are sure it's eight? It feels like, uh, it feels more like six to me. But I have clips of every line of dialogue from this episode. Yeah. And, they, they, <laughs> and those clips amount to eight minutes oh wow. you know what one minute of it is the credit talking uh, so, so okay seven we're both minutes. half right which <laughs> means together we're right <laughs> i'm surprised they didn't go with the entire They're all good it's a very funny episode it's, i do i think all the lines are funny i like the wraparound segments and this feels like it had value at one point in which um you can look all these songs up online now immediately yes. they're all on youtube or wherever you mm-hmm. want to find them previously in 1997 that songs in the key of springfield released mm-hmm. that had all of these songs on it so this feels like a stealth commercial for songs in the key of Springfield released 100%. in uh, March of 97 so almost a year mm. before this episode aired I had that I, I oh I listened to it me it was a continual play in the car CD player when my mom would drive me and my brother anywhere like it it stayed there for for months and months I remember many a time leaving my local comic shop on new comic book day and mom driving us home and uh, playing that music on it and and yes I was 15 but uh, I was too I, I didn't my, my <laughs> friend mocked me for buying this like why do you want a cd with songs from the simpsons on it? i'm like because they're fucking good <laughs> well, am i gonna just pull up my v- vhs's to hear these in order i can't do that i just want to hear them i gotta hear them all right now 
He was the same friend that would make me come mm. over and listen to him play guitar to a Metallica CD. So <laughs> I had two friends that did the same thing. One made, me, one made me listen to him play drums. The other made me listen to him play guitar. What is up with weird white teenagers? I need <laughs> you to know. friends with Mark Maron? That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, you got to emulate your heroes. That's, yeah. that's part of it. I, <laughs> I uh, didn't have those albums as a kid. So I, I even though this is a clip show, I'm glad I'm on this episode because I loved this episode. Every time it would come up in uh, any kind i also was like a little i was a little blooming uh musical nerd so yes. like i i loved the musical episodes of the simpsons and this one packaging them all together especially when they would come up in reruns i'd get excited and get to hear all the songs again that i loved yes yeah, actually matt jay i'm glad you reminded me of that that's why we you're our buddy you're a bro we've had you on many podcasts but having you on this simpsons was important because you are a a musical theater uh like fan you've you've worked in musical theater i believe correct and uh, i mean on a community I've, level not really musical improv a little bit okay. not musical well I, I i you might be thinking oh no wait <laughs> i'm forgetting my own uh, professional history i did co-direct a music school for a year so i, I was <laughs> so, very okay. involved in this and i forgot it yeah i, I ran a music school uh, in south jersey uh, and I'm still sort of involved. I'm still, I love those people and I, I visit whenever I can. Uh, and we had a theater program, which was uh, mostly for, for children, which was like amazing to get to work with all these kids like doing musicals. And sometimes you'd see kids come through there who were, you know, voice students or, or drums and guitar. We did everything or the theater students. And you'd be like, these are some of the most talented human beings I've ever seen. And it was <laughs> like one of the greatest experiences of my life and the best job I've ever had in my life. So wow. was it like School of Rock in any way? Yeah, well, there was a lot of, jokes about that in comparisons to that and i think they did that musical at some point because that's a musical ah, yeah now. it's a broadway musical or it was i'm sure it still is somewhere <laughs> you can find it somewhere i think I, it's still playing i think uh old andrew lloyd weber was involved in it somehow yes and they were big well, all the kids are big weber fans because that's that's when you should be when you're a little child oh it's when you should like andrew lloyd weber well, if we're gonna musical geek out here for a second yes andrew lloyd weber is perfect for children sir andrew lloyd weber <laughs> sir andrew lloyd weber uh he's perfect <laughs> he is perfect for it because you they're simple enough and they are just like anthem just anthem after anthem and they're just easy to follow and remember for a kid i listened to the evita soundtrack a million times as a child i had no clue who ava perone is or or any of these <laughs> things like uh, the politics of it or like also i listened to lay miz a million times my favorite song was a song about the whorehouse and i did not understand what that meant like, some of the wraparound songs in actually this that was feel... not my favorite song sorry master the house Oh, my favorite song. That's very important. Uh, some of the wraparound songs feel like Webbery to me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Very Webbery. Very Webbery. I don't know much about Weber. Yeah. Yeah, that like that just narrating through singing kind of mm -hmm. thing. And like using modern instrumentation like, like like electric guitar or whatever. Yeah, one of the backbeat under some of the things like dear near 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 like that. That definitely feels uh, a bit phantom to me, sure, which that it was a style at the time. I I was very into the what were modern in the 80s musicals. <laughs> As I got older, I got into other ones. My my mom took me to a number of musicals. She, uh, she knew I was gay, but like no. Uh, <laughs> I've seen Les Mis. This is not a joke. I've seen Les Mis live four times. Like that's oh, cool. how... Have you seen Hamilton? Absolutely not. Okay. Not gonna see that. <laughs> Is that there. that's still cool? Is that still cool? Uh, no, it's one of the. It's 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 become. It used to be a interesting thing, and now it's kind of like I think for most people, especially leftists, it's not cool anymore. It's we've all learned too much about. Well, we didn't know much about Alexander Hamilton because he was the like undersung 
guy and you were like, oh, wait, was he like against all this stuff? And then you start to learn like, oh, no, he wasn't. This is just lies in a play. Well, you know, it could be a good play, but I think uh, it, I think I turned on it because you'd hear stories about like, well, the we need to fix education is take every child to see Hamilton. I'm like, that's not a fucking <laughs> fix. Edu- like, it's such an like stupid, rich, liberal idea of fixing shit. Like I. Well, that- it's one. It will always be Tim Kaine in the membrane for sure. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that just felt too much like Schoolhouse Rock. Like, why are you freaking out about this so yes. much? Uh, well, also, I, I still I do enjoy a lot of the songs. Uh, sure. Even though my the stock of Lin Manuel himself has dropped greatly for me, I still I can listen <laughs> to the soundtrack and enjoy it. Well, I I like that Lin Manuel has been just going on his like victory tour for the last like three years after doing it. I mean, like <laughs> yeah. get a high move to Hollywood and get every deal and every high five you can meet every person who you're a fan of because they want to meet you like do all that shit i mean i'm also mm-hmm. annoyed that he's like a fan of another podcast so i'm like why can't you be our podcast fan <laughs> he's a disney famous. guy he's in every single disney property yeah. now like mary poppins moana ducktales uh mary, everything disney was right to make him an indentured servant like that was the <laughs> yeah. smart move to do and i mean yeah so <laughs> he's an, a fun engineer now <laughs> but i mean yeah like i don't think lin-manuel is a particularly bad person or anything i think too it's just no this is what happens uh, when corporations just eat this shit up like that also mm-hmm. happens I, I, I mean i know it's not this but i can't help but think of mr show's rap the musical whenever when I, well, I know it's ignorant <laughs> for me to say that but that's immediately because every super white liberal i knew loved it yes yeah it's rap without all that rap yes yeah. <laughs> well i'm an old gold tooth and i tell you the truth <laughs> Mm-hmm. Just listen to uh, uh, to his uh, Cantina song from Force Awakens. <laughs> That's the ultimate Lin Manuel song to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, well, actually, you know, we make fun of Hamilton, but as. Jeff Martin uh, revealed in our interview with him. Oh no, I uh, forgot about that. That they are doing a Hamilton inspired Simpsons in the next season. Like the gag is, it's a hip hop musical about Jebediah Springfield. Mm. But I want to talk about the writer for this episode, yes. a real ringer, uh, Steve O'Donnell, who wrote this in the Joy of Sect. And frankly, writing for the Simpsons even in 1998 was a huge deal. It was a big mm-hmm. show, but. I would say he might be too good to be writing just a clip show. Uh, it feels like they should have thrown this to a newer writer like uh, Reed Harrison back in season eight. He was yeah. a newer writer. Give him a, uh, you know, a lesser Give episode. Give an opportunity to a different white man at least. Yes. But Steve O'Donnell, number one, amazing comedy pedigree. He was the first head writer on Late Night with David Letterman from 1983 until he mm. left uh, when it moved to CBS in 1995. After Meryl Marco. Yes. After after Meryl Marco broke up with David Letterman and then uh, she... I, I just say that because Meryl Marco gets uh, really uh, overlooked and hit you... Everybody talks about how women aren't funny. It's like, well, everybody's favorite show, David Letterman, uh, for, for all comedy nerds, the co basically co-founder of the show was his then you know romantic partner slash comedy writing partner Meryl Marco like so. But he was on the show from the very beginning. Yes, um, yeah, a long time. He pioneered things with his writing crew, like the top ten list and things like that. So number one, he's also a Harvard goon. And my theory yep. with Henry was <laughs> that he was the guy who made Harvard comedy TV writing a thing. Like <laughs> everybody, like so Letterman cool. was like a huge like comedy farm for Harvard writers who would funnel out to SNL and then The Simpsons. So I feel mm-hmm. like. Like, this is just this is like ground zero. He's for, patient one. Yeah, He's patient, patient zero. Yeah, yeah, patient zero. Yeah, for uh, Harvard comedy and TV writing. 
writing. I could be wrong. I'm sure there's instances before him, but I feel like so many Simpsons people came from Letterman and they came from SNL. It's just a chain following Letterman's first run. Yeah, and when you well, when you put the Harvard thing into it, this also feels like a gift to a guy who gave so many Harvard opportunities to yeah. people. And like, yeah, it. Uh, I mean, a lot of Simpsons writers, they if they didn't work there, they applied there and they wanted to work there, or they worked on similar things, or they got help from folks who worked at Letterman. Like Letterman's a major thing, which yeah. is not in and of itself bad. I mean, cronyism, like you can't get away from it. Everybody, I would hire if I was put in charge of a TV show, I would hire my friends because I like them. And speaking of Jeff Martin, he was on Letterman too. Yep. He came from Letterman too. At and, the same time, he Harvard. worked under Steve yeah. O'Donnell. Yeah, I mean, Steve O'Donnell hired him kind of right out of Harvard, as most people get. Uh, friends, a uh, friend of us and 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 Matt Jay, the Jack Allison, he has he, he has a lot of great points about how many Harvard guys just go like straight. You don't even have to apply. You just leave straight from the lampoon to an assured job. You just get on the shuttle. Yeah, to exactly. your TV writing job. And which, oh, that's that classic joke about um. Oh, what's his name? From oh, the BJ office. Novak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. BJ Novak. That like he yo he man he paid his dues uh, all along that flight from Boston to L.A. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Which, which is not to say BJ Novak isn't a funny guy. Like I think he is, but it's just mm-hmm. you, when you look at who gets opportunities, there's there's probably lots of funny people who didn't write for the Harvard Lampoon. That's true. So down with Steve O'Donnell is what we're no, saying. No, I do but... like Steve O'Donnell. He's actually very funny. <laughs> yes. But uh, more about him. So after 12, 12 years on David Letterman's show, two of those being the CBS run, he was like, I'll do other kinds of TV writing. So he went on to write just like freelance episodes for things like Space Ghost Coast to Coast, mm-hmm. uh, two episodes of Seinfeld, things like that. But then he went back into the talk show experience with things like Jimmy Kimmel Live, mm-hmm. uh, the Man Show before that. So he's got some ties to Jimmy Kimmel, obviously, and the Bonnie Hunt Show, and he frequently works with Norm MacDonald. <laughs> and uh, one thing I pulled out... I that, have a lot of theories on all that there, but... Uh, are they good? Are no, they, they're good. Do they reflect well upon they're, him? I'm confused. Yeah, no, like, they're good. They're good. Well, okay, like, Bonnie Hunt and Norm MacDonald are both Letterman favorites. Like uh, those, you're right, you're right. I, for, I forgot about that, yeah. <laughs> both those shows were produced by Worldwide Pants, so, I mean, it was... Steve O'Donnell made a lateral move away from Letterman to work on shows that Letterman wanted made, which that's what famous people do they produce shows and they make it and why wouldn't you want the head writer to head up your show and like body hunt's very funny i think she uh she got a bad uh, deal i don't know she could have been more famous i think she's she was a very funny woman but i i also think that like the timing on steve o'donnell there is like body hunt show got canceled i think like twice she had like two different shows get canceled two i years forgot ago. about it until doing research for this <laughs> and so then steve o'donnell is freed up he's living in la just take on some freelance you're hanging out there and so your old buddies hand yeah, well, his Space Ghost ones, one of them was just a straight Late Show parody. The episode called Late Show Space yeah, Ghost. Yeah, I did notice that. That's his one with Spike Ferriston, who wrote uh, Sideshow Bob's Last Gleaming. And uh, one thing I pulled out from his IMDb credits is he has a few acting credits, like three. And one of them is in a Strangers with Candy episode called Is My Daddy Crazy? <laughs> uh, I love that episode. I for- I didn't have time to rewatch it. I would have loved to, but um, he's in that episode. That is what derailed my day yesterday, yeah. was uh, watching that episode to see him in it and that's uh, the one where jerry blanks uh second fake dead uh your is, stepmother's lover yeah stepmother's call. lover that's right he's <laughs> got a, a secret family <laughs> i i love uh yeah this is he's stapling cheese to the roof he's uh he's he has lost his mind but every i love when they reveal that everybody's crazy in the town and that yeah. they all have problems is I, that stew is that his name yes yeah, okay. stew, stew the meat man it has that episode is one of my favorite 
moments ever in the show of just a full pizza thrown oh, in that's Steve it. Colbert's face. Just him screaming. Just screaming. At the top of his lungs. He just walks in like, hey, everybody. Ah! Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but Steve O'Donnell plays one of the two creepy librarians. Ah, uh, oh, yes, you're right. You're totally right. Yeah, I was wondering which one. Okay, yeah, that's right. He's, he's the one closest to camera. So, well, that was my excuse for rewatching an entire Strangers with Candy yesterday. I was like, oh, I need to see who Steve O'Donnell is in this. So I better just watch the whole thing. Coming soon to What a Cartoon. We can do it. We can get away with it. Uh, uh, and real quick, it uh, counts. It counts. It's, I mean, it's a live action cartoon. Heather it and I were talking made, made about an this. That's yeah. the <laughs> Part of it is animation. And a uh, brief uh, bit about the director of the show, Mark Irvin. He didn't direct a lot of episodes. This is his first role as director on The Simpsons, but he had been with the show since the beginning of season two's Bark It's an F. And he's credited with a ton of episodes between then and I believe 2012, I think. Yeah, season 24 was his last production yeah. season. He... But he's credited on like every episode between those because he worked on the main title animation. So uh, he's listed on every episode. So okay. he's the guy behind a lot of what you see, at the, well, like a lot of what you used to see, rather, <laughs> uh, before the bad HD opening. So yeah. Um, so <laughs> He currently works on Disenchantment as a storyboard artist, so yeah. he's still in the Simpsons world. Mark Irvin's career is really interesting, just how he's like this kind of jack-of-all-trades at Simpsons based on his credits. Like, sometimes he's a layout artist, sometimes he's a character layout artist, or a boarder, tie- a sheet timer, also, like, assistant director. He's assistant director on multiple major episodes of the show, starting with Homer's Triple yeah. Bypass. And those people are very important. Uh, they usually become directors, like Susie yeah. Dieter. But I think he was more of like a pinch hitter director because he only did two other ones. Like he did, uh, he did Monty Can't Buy Me Love. Uh, that was his his last one. And this and being given a clip show feels like practice. Also, yeah. It's like and this is definitely an easier one to direct because there's seven minutes of animation. <laughs> well, also there's a parody, and then everything else takes place in the living room. That is true. They never leave. Not like, a lot of sets. Yeah, there's. <laughs> it's only the living room. You're yes, right. Yeah. Wow. And only up to six characters. Like, that's yeah. all you have to animate. So I also noticed he even drew a Bongo comic once. And oh, okay. It was a, an itchy and scratchy comic written by Patrick Verone, nice. also a lampooner as yeah, well. Yeah, we heard those people often uh, would work on Bongo comics between, uh, you know, layoff periods mm-hmm. on The Simpsons. But when I hear Steve O'Donnell on this commentary, Mark Irvin could not be on the commentary, which was too bad, because he definitely was in the office then when they recorded it. Probably too busy, I'm guessing. (laughs) But uh, I also, though on the commentary, they identify that he's recording from Burbank near the airport. I'm like, we were just there. We were just (laughs) by that airport. And Steve O'Donnell feels like way too humble on the spot commentary. He's like, I barely did any work. (laughs) All these songs are better than what I wrote. He actually, he wrote the songs for the wraparounds. He's the uncredited lyricist for the wraparound songs. You can tell they're different. You can tell it's not... Uh, yeah. I mean, they're so good, and I, I like them, but it's... I mean, well, A, it's definitely... It's dialogue more than it is a song, but it also doesn't... What's the usual song guy whose name I forget right now? Well, Ken Keeler in yeah. season nine. Yeah. Well, actually, no, uh, he quit in season eight. For seasons two to four, it was Jeff Martin. With Merkin's era, they wrote songs in the room. Yes. Uh, I'm and trying then, to think of Jeff Martin. It's, it it yeah. sounds different than his work, but and it's then, still good and fun. Like seven through nine, it was uh, Keeler, I believe. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I meant to say on the Kimmel thing, too, a reason Kimmel hired him is because Kimmel, if, if you've read the books about the, uh, the Conan Leno thing, 
Kimmel is the biggest Letterman fan in the world. Like yeah. He's a huge nerd for Letterman. So when he's building, he wanted his late show to be a Letterman show. So he just hires Steve O'Donnell to build it for him, which like it totally makes sense. And by touching Conan O'Brien, we're part of that world now, Henry. We <laughs> touched true. him. People can know about that now. We met Conan yes, O'Brien. They've, they've seen the photos. His arms were around us. He was forced to talk to us for seven <laughs> minutes. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, so this is the fourth clip show uh, yeah. after 138. They identify it as such at the very end. Yes, and it would be the... So there's only been six total clip shows that, well... The wiki classifies the behind the laughter as a clip show, which is like it is not. No, it has, no, it no. has four clips in it, yeah. maybe. Like so, I wouldn't call it that. But uh, the but yeah, the other one is Gump Roast. When I saw that air, Gump Roast, I'm like, it's 2002. Also, number one, no no more clip shows. We're yes. it's we're post 9 yeah. 11. Number two, a Forrest Gump parody yeah. in 2002. Mm-hmm. Who well, was keeping this in their pocket? I mean, Al Jean was. <laughs> yeah. Al Jean had been sitting on it uh, since when Forrest Gump came out. He was no longer showrunner on Simpsons. Season 13, he becomes showrunner on Simpsons again. Finally, can use that Forrest, Homer's Forrest Gump shit. It's funny that the Simpsons avoided a, a Forrest Gump joke about Homer uh, because it's easy. Yeah, it's too exactly. lazy. <laughs> I would think if. If I was, I mean, uh, Jay Sherman, he did a Forrest Gump yes, joke. Yes, yeah, I. It's lame as fuck to do a Forrest Gump joke. That's why you don't do it. We'll get to that. The war against Algene begins. Uh, but remember when, uh, like, a few, like in like. Like 2006, The Office and Community did them, or not, I guess it would have been later than that, so like 2009 or something, The Office and Community did them like almost at exactly the same time, and The Office just did a straight up regular ass clip show. It was like, <laughs> oh, like, oh, nine or 10 or something, yeah. I remember being like, what the fuck? This is so, and then Community did one where the joke was that it was a clip show, kind of like Morty's Mind Blowers, uh, yeah. Rick and Morty. I'm but kind of, like, I remember being like, what is wrong with tele? Like, is this an NBC mandate? Like, what the hell? We're beyond this. We have Netflix. These shows were on Hulu at the time. They're trying, I guess they're trying to save money. I don't know. Like, I, I am beyond now the too clever parody of a clip show. I think that <laughs> idea, too. let's get let's get over that. I mean, no one even knows what a clip show is anymore. We don't, like, yeah. I, this generation now has not had to suffer through actual clip shows <laughs> on every mm-hmm. TV show. I think let's just Yeah, get whenever kids that. are, like, discovering The Office on Netflix or friends or whatever i wonder if they get to a clip show and are like what the what's going on yeah, this is not yeah. How tv work was somebody sick this week <laughs> yeah it's it, it was such an it's such an inverse of today which is just like oh just keep making original content just all the original content we yeah. have like we have to keep everyone's attention with original content back then even in 1998 the feeling was like we just gotta make something to beef up our syndication package so make a third of an episode and just put clips around the rest of it like that's and do it as cheaply as possible in that other third like that's that's how you do it so i get i get it i get that the reason for doing it like this from a cost if you're just looking at a spreadsheet uh or an excel document back in 1997 then you see that whether an episode costs $2 $2 million or $5 million, whatever the price is for an episode. Either way, in a syndication package, it is worth the same. So why not get them to make less and, and uh, make something for cheaper? And as they say on the commentary, this that they wanted four a year at one yeah. point Fox asked for. Jeez. Like, so I think the pro the they instead changed is like, fine, we'll commit to four ever. Like, we'll commit mm-hmm. to four in this five-year span, and that's all we'll do. And You'll get them. And they also, for a few years, gave Fox extra episodes, but they needed to bring in other showrunners yes, like Merkin yeah. and Al Jean and people like that. Well, that's why Merkin runs this one, because like to get this season has 25 episodes in it. And that's because they had either holdovers from before, 
two Gina Reese ones, and then two from Merkin. And uh, next season just has holdovers from season nine. No satellite teams. Wow, we're spending half a year on season nine. That's crazy. <laughs> and also <laughs> that the next two, the, the next seasons after this don't go to 25. I think Fox didn't want 25 anymore. They're like 22 or 24, <laughs> Yeah, 22 to 24. Yeah. And I think it might have just been the like, once they hit 200, I mean, you're at syndicate, you're at big syndication money at that point anyway. You're not really, more episodes is good, but you're not desperate to squeeze as many possible. And also we are just entering the era of American Idol and reality shows. And you're thinking yes. like, why are we spending this much on cartoons? <laughs> it's also true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting to see Merkin's approach to this one because he straight up hates clip shows. He made intentionally the worst clip show of Simpsons ever, the worst episode of Simpsons ever in another Simpsons clip show, like intentionally as a fuck you to making him do a clip show. They work harder on this one and they try harder. Like Merkin on the commentary says, I'm actually kind of proud of this one. I think we did a good job. Yeah, it has uh, some mm. of the most screw you jokes per minute in American episodes. Yes. And also <laughs> one of the edgiest jokes I've seen on an episode, and we'll get to it. Like, I can't believe they did that. Mm. You just don't even, you just I know, blink I and it's down. over. I know, I know the joke. Yes, yeah, yeah. You, you blink and it's over, but then you think about like, they did that. Wow. <laughs> also, in, in the idea of songs, just Simpsons as a musical show, it's it's an amazing show with so many songs. And I think that's why like a million shows just have, it gave permission to so many shows like we can just do a yeah. musical. Let's do it. I was going to say the same thing. I think the Simpsons made it cool to do musicals where before you could have musical acts on a variety show or musical songs on like Tracy Ullman or, you know, Carol Burnett or whatever. But now you can do that within the context of a story. I was just I'm catching up with Bob's Burgers now because it was new to me when we did what a cartoon about it and they're uh they're basically who shot mr burns style two-parter has <laughs> songs in it i'm like yeah. this is so mm-hmm. simpsons but i love it <laughs> well and that uh, yes, well, you can blame the simpsons for the drew carey show when that when you're watching oh. drew carey show again you're like well, what's happening right now it's because of the simpsons that is a crime <laughs> they do it too much even though i i love that show dearly well mike reese in his book springfield confidential he gives a very interesting insight into the practical reasons writers oh, yeah. love songs is because when you write a song and everybody's cool with the song, the song is rarely rewritten in the rewrites or cut. And so when rewrites are just going line by line through a script for 12 hours, if you mm-hmm. get to three pages that you will not change and will not cut, you, that is a sense of freedom. You're like, oh, thank God, we can just skip these three yeah. and get faster. Thank Jesus Christ. Especially the way Simpsons, to their success, I uh, uh, constantly rewrites a script. Like, no, a credit writer is not the writer of a Simpsons script, less so than any television show. I'd and say. you get money for writing songs, too. Yes, yeah. That's that's Sweet why... I, royalties. I put a song into every script if I was a Simpsons writer and just see <laughs> see if I'd get away with it. Or a new character. Yeah. Oh, yes. Sweet <laughs> character payments, baby. This is a song sung by 18 new characters. All named. <laughs> the Simpsons will be right back. Hmm. 
We didn't get you, Emma, but we did get you a really great podcast guest this week in Matthew J. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and also his podcast, The Deep End, where they go through the Adult Swim animated lineup. But if you'd like to support this podcast and hear every episode a week ahead of time and ad-free, and the same for our sister podcast, you need to go to patreon.com slash Simpsons. If you sign up there, you'll get access to every episode a week ahead of time and ad-free and the same for What a Cartoon, our sister podcast where me and Bob, with a guest, go through a different animated series each week in a specific episode of it. Not to mention, you'll get to hear all of our Patreon-exclusive mini-series right now, brand new, each Friday, Talk King of the Hill, where we talk about a different episode of the first season of King of the Hill in the Talking Simpsons style. And that's our third Patreon-exclusive mini-series. We already did Talking Critic, where we went through every episode of The Critic, and Talking Future. Futurama for the entire first season of Futurama. $5 a month gets you access to hundreds of hours of exclusive Patreon podcasts that you can only hear if you sign up at patreon.com slash talkingsimpsons. Know what's even dreamier than Lee Marvin? The What A Cartoon Movie Podcast, only for our $10 and up patrons. If you enjoy me and Bob talking about Simpsons or animated series for this long, what if I told you we did it for up to three hours on a different podcast each month? We talk about movies like Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, Kiki's Delivery Service, Akira, a Goofy movie, and The Secret of Nim. You'll hear all of those only if you're a $10 and up patron and you'll get a brand new one each month. And not only that, but you'll get access to all 18 months of our previous $10 Patreon rewards. You can hear all of that only if you're a $10 and up patron at patreon.com slash talking simpsons don't you want to hear us talk for over three hours about akira or a goofy movie i know i did we did a ton of research a ton of work you'll learn so goddamn much from listening to that you gotta gotta sign up to hear the what a cartoon movie at patreon.com slash talking simpsons This is a better clip show. The best clip show is 138, of course. But yeah, uh, it's even more cynical. Yes, yeah. This though, it's also cheaper because only voice actors in it doing original dialogue are Phil Hartman and Dan Castellaneta. That's it. Nobody else does voices in that episode. And this one has the full family plus Hank Azaria. No Harry Shearer, which I then looked back at it. Harry Shearer is in April Fools, but he's not in the other two clip shows. And I wonder if it was either Harry Shearer being a grump and saying he didn't want to do clip shows or them saying it's cheaper if we don't have Harry Shearer in this, you know. I think it was basically (laughs) as few voice actors as possible. Yes. And uh, you need like what four for the simpsons family yeah four for so the simpsons if we and can, hank if we can not have either hank or harry come in <laughs> that's saving us i don't know five figures probably at that point well and hank oh, plays yeah. ball harry doesn't like hank hank's up for some hank does commentaries harry Shearer would not uh, be caught dead on a commentary i think 
because they're for free and he doesn't do free work for Fox, which honestly, I I agree with him. This so. is a fun commentary, though. Hank uh, yeah. gets to diss Herman's head. That's really great. <laughs> yeah. That's really great. Yeah, no, because it's Yardley and Hank. I think it's they've been on maybe two commentaries together. So it's so great that Dave Merkin, is, they're talking about people walking up to them on the street and uh, telling them like the projects they worked on and that they're ashamed of even. <laughs> and then they're like, but how was Herman's head? Dave Merkin asked. And they just both just laugh like, ha. <laughs> if you see Yardley Smith, make sure you tell her, I loved you. I love you in Maximum Overdrive. It's so yeah. great. No, but David Merkin, sorry, we're doing a lot of preamble because this episode is so short. David Merkin has a really good point, though, on a commentary. Like, if you meet a celebrity, please ask them about the thing that nobody knows about that they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I met Brett Gelman at an airport, and I'm sure Eagleheart was the biggest thing he'd done at that point, mm-hmm. but I think he was surprised that somebody watched Eagleheart and liked it. I was like, I fucking love Eagleheart. He's like, oh, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> I just talked to uh, I talked to James Urbaniak about this exact thing. He's, he, he said the same thing. He was like, he was like, character actors love if you you find like the weirdest stupidest thing that you can pick out of the, out of their history <laughs> well because they never want to hear about that they never want to hear about their most famous thing like if you the, i think it comes up on the commentary because they're talking about george harrison in the episode b sharps and they're just like george harrison didn't want to say shit about the beatles because he's talked about it every second of his yeah. life so mm-hmm. if you but if you talk about him about a side project like he loves hearing that like though yeah. we didn't we never asked bill oakley or josh weinstein about the mullets though yeah. reed harrison said it was a fun show that was yeah. smarter than you think it was <laughs> in our you know we get to our third bill and josh interviews it's mullet time. all mullet it's, talk uh, mm-hmm. i watched every episode of that show <laughs> wow i i did not watch that i uh, i think i have tried that in any like celebrity interview i think when i interviewed janet varney i tried to ask about something like much less famous uh, than that but yes we are we are killing time because nothing happens in this episode <laughs> and we have very few clips but uh but okay let's get into the episode proper the uh the simpsons are having family video night which uh, this really sets this in like, especially their video choices. This is exactly 1997. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like one movie is 95 and one is 96. So it, they're, they're on their waiting for waiting to exhale list. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like the joke with Man Without a Face that they had, where they're just like a writer was sitting on this. It's yeah. a very late show idea too. Like I could hear Letterman say that in uh, <laughs> in the monologue. <laughs> like uh, but, you know, people say about waiting is hell. You shouldn't hold your breath for a sequel. Or, I I tend to confuse waiting to exhale with how Stella got her groove back because I've seen neither movie and they seem to have similar ideas. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, this this ritual of the family coming home with vi- videos from the video store is uh, is doesn't exist anymore. It made me reflect on how Mm-hmm. streaming has changed everything uh, as, yeah. as the internet changed everything in every way. Like I would normally go to the video store with my stepdad and my mom would ask him like, go get this, get that. And it'd be a problem if you know, they didn't have it. Like he'd have to find the substitute movie <laughs> and it often wouldn't be a good one. Yes. Yeah. Well the idea of like, well you can't just watch what you want. It might not be there and you have to negotiate. And also just the idea of like, I am paying $4 for one thing. And that's my one thing this weekend. And I'm just going to watch that one movie and Instead of we all pay twelve dollars to Netflix or whatever, do have to be paralyzed by choice. Like there's, <laughs> but you won't have what you. 
I, I have gone from watching Netflix to knowing what I wanted to just letting it wash over me and be like, I don't know, what's what are you putting in front of me? What's the most interesting thing right here? I can't think for myself anymore and search for a movie to see if you have it because you usually don't have it. Yeah, that'll be like just mm-hmm. one of five streaming services I have access to at any given time yes, plus yeah. YouTube. Yeah. And if you, you know, there were no cell phones either, so if you tell dad one movie and they don't have it, he gets, you're right, he gets to pick the backup. You got to make sure you tell him like three tiers of movie. You're like, okay, if they don't have Beetlejuice... <laughs> then I want Batman Returns. If they don't have Batman Returns, then you got to get Terminator 2. <laughs> and the, yeah, the, you can't also, it's their mistake to leave it up to Homer. Honestly, Marge should have gone out and got the tape. This, <laughs> that was, uh, that was different from, for my family. It was, it was me. Honestly, I'd go with my mom and just pick the movies, but uh, it, it should. So to make this more like my childhood, it should be Marge doing it. And we should also come back from Pizza Hut picking up, uh, our p- two pizzas. So, mm-hmm. and now this is a podcast, and I, I do live in Los Angeles, which means yes. I have to make a very specific reference to something local here that ninety nine percent of the people listening to this can never experience. Oh boy! But here in LA, video store culture is alive and well, and I I live biking distance away from one of the greatest video stores I've ever been to, called Video Tech in South Pasadena, and it is the best. Like I feel like a child again because I just go in there and I stay, I wander for two hours just looking at the covers of movies that I could just look up on Wikipedia or just google a listicle of like the 10 best neo-noir films from the 70s and just get those but like it's i i have the experience again of like i pay them five dollars to take a dvd home that sometimes will skip over a whole scene and i'm like (laughs) and i love it i'm like that's the texture of what i want i love that i watched la story and it just like kept skipping over scenes i've seen that movie tons of times i love that movie so i was just like this is better this is the experience that i want actually <laughs> yeah I've, I've been thinking about going to netflix's uh, disc plan again just because that will get me to watch movies mm. it will make me it will send a thing to my house mm. that i will be like here's an object i must use this object because when i first got it back in um i don't know 2006 i'm like I, i've missed out on so many movies i'm gonna catch up and i did until streaming happened and then I just stopped watching movies because there was too many. And also, mm-hmm. they did not have any of the ones I wanted to see, especially classics. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, well, that's mm-hmm. that's why Netflix is just the TV channel to me. I just watch yeah. television shows. Yeah, no. I'm still a fan of the physical media. I have, I have tons of Blu-rays that I, I get up and I open from a case and I have to take another disc out and leave outside somewhere so I can put this disc in. And I, I actually just yesterday received, uh, as a gift, I received the Ingmar Bergman Criterion Collection, which has 39 films in it. Whoa. Uh, and That's quite yeah, a gift. It is, wow. It is huge. Well, I received a gift of money, and I chose to waste my money on ah, that. I, see. I thought I was never going to touch it, and I am now two films into it already. Oh, nice. Um, but one of them is very tied to this episode. Oh, I'll bring it up. I want to hear about right. it. But Lisa, she wanted Emma, but uh, Bart and Homer had other ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got the popcorn! Did you get waiting to exhale? Well, they put us on the waiting to exhale waiting list, but they said don't hold your breath. <laughs> did you get Emma? Did you get Emma? Did you, did you, did you, huh? Whoa, whoa. Calm down, little lady. Take it easy. Take it easy. <laughs> no. What did you get? <laughs> Something very close, exactly along those lines. A Clint Eastwood, Lee Marvin, shoot him up western. So prepare yourself for the bloody mayhem and unholy carnage of Joshua Logan's Paint Your Wagon. With blood, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get to the clips from the thing, I well, first, I love how Homer acts like the good dad. He's like, 
Take it easy, take yeah. it easy. No. No. <laughs> uh, but also just their funny their humorous selfishness, though, of picking the movie only they would want to watch. Though I feel like Homer transforms into Schwartzwelder here or something. That like him and Bart love violent westerns now for the first time ever. Does Philly uh, mm-hmm. feel very Schwartzweldian? Yes, yeah. But Lee Marvin uh actually never appeared in another film with Clint Eastwood, which that's like a movie where you see like Schwar- uh, Schwarzenegger team up with Sylvester Stallone or whatever. Like that is that for westerns and i can't believe they never made it <laughs> so it was like the ver- it was like the heat version yes it was like yeah heat, but for it's westerns. totally heat but for westerns but, well it would have been but that's not what paint your wagon is i i also do like how bart introduces it like he's a film historian of like it is this director's it is yeah. joshua logan's paint your wagon <laughs> and i know like a, like when i was watching this episode uh as a fifth Teen year old, yeah. Uh, I was like, this is probably just a pastiche yeah. of, of westerns. And wouldn't it be funny if this was an idea? If this was a musical western with Clint Eastwood singing, that's crazy. Yeah. Go to the internet when this episode's over. Oh my god, it's yes. real. Yeah. But in 1997, I could not hear clips of it. But now we can. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, yeah. We will. <laughs> I think, too, the real humor in the first viewing is for, like, is the disconnect for the audience who knows, the parts of the audience that knows what Paint Your Wagon is, who are old, and then children like us who are like, wait, what's Paint Your Wagon? Like, you are you don't know what the joke is, but somebody who lived through the 60s, when they hear Paint Your Wagon, yeah. they know they're talking about one of the biggest bombs in cinema history. It feels like it, it's, like, obscure, though, even for 1997. Yes, yeah. Well, because no, no one wants to find it. No one wants to watch it. It's like... like- you knew Ishtar was yes, a famously yeah. expensive bad movie, but not this. Ishtar is a funnier one to bring up as a failure. Like Paint Your Wagons is not even... Uh, it, it is a fun bomb to talk about, though. I, I do want to say I love Lee Marvin. I think he was an amazing drunken character. Like he mm-hmm. also... Uh, he was he was the a voice Demo- of an angel. He was a Democrat back then. <laughs> he didn't support the war in Vietnam. He's a World War II veteran. Uh, when he made Paint Your Wagon, he was only 44, but it was a oh hard... Oh, my God! Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's a hard 44. He was, he Paint was, Your Wagon is two hours and 44 minutes. So if you're yeah. curious about watching this thing that that contributed to one joke on The Simpsons, I don't know if you want to make that, that jump. That is yeah. longer than a Marvel movie, correct? Uh, uh, most Marvel movies, yeah. yeah. I, most of them. Not uh, Infinity War, probably. <laughs> well, also, uh, if, if I were to say my favorite Lee Marvin movie, he's... He is really good in uh, Point Blank, the mm. uh, that noir film. But my favorite is him playing Liberty Valance in the titular Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Uh, and also, though, if you want to see him and uh, Tashira Mifune glare at each other, you should check out Hell in the Pacific. Where oh, my God. It's <laughs> just the two of them. As uh, and they can't talk to each other because one doesn't speak English, the other doesn't speak Japanese, and so they're just two soldiers trapped on an island. They're not even named in the movie. The nothing, oh, oh. and there's they're the only actors. Spoilers: they mm. never find other people in the movie. I need to see that. This. Sounds fucking awesome. It is really cool. I haven't seen it in a long time, and it's it's really great. It's one of the few non-Japanese productions Mifune did also. One thing I just discovered upon looking up something about Paint Your Wagon is the adaptation. I guess it was a stage musical first. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, we'll get into that, but the adaptation is by Patty Chayefsky, the fucking writer of Network. Yep. 
Yeah, it's, I, uh, yeah, I mean, we can't blame yes. him. He's adapting a bad musical, yes, but still, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, here, let's hear, let's hear some of, uh, let's hear some of Paint Your Wagon, which, folks, none of this is from the musical Paint Your Wagon. <laughs> they do not sing a song about painting your wagon. The songs aren't this wagon. good in Paint Your Wagon. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty sorry looking wagon you got there, mister. I reckon it could use a coat of paint. <laughs> well, what are we waiting for? Uh, I love their dosy doing. So great. <laughs> gonna paint our wagon, gonna paint it good. We ain't bragging, we're gonna coat that wood. They're gonna paint that wagon. <laughs> they're singing, Marge. Why aren't they killing each other? Yeah, their guns are right there. So God, that song is a bit, it has been in my head for <laughs> over twenty years. Good. Yeah. Uh, also, they imagine that Lee Van Cleef was in Paint Your Wagon. The uh, that's the guy who's uh, glaring at Clint Eastwood in it. That's Lee Van Cleef, the uh, villain. He played Angel in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah. And he was uh, the co-star in a, f- a few dollars more. And uh, Clint is dressed like he is in that one yeah, of those. Yeah, he's movies, the man right? of, with yeah, no name with out no name. costume. Yeah, it's. Uh, I but I. That's what's extra funny about it. It's just what they imagined the movie to be. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and paint your wagon. He's just wearing like a nice like corn like cornflower blue shirt. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a wuss in the movie. He all right. So paint your wagon history time. Let's yeah, let's really let's get break into it down. It. So it debuted on Broadway in 1951, written by Broadway legends Alan Lerner and Frederick Lowe. Lerner and Lowe, they were quite a team of lyricist and composer. They did tons of major shows that you've all heard of. They're there to set the stage for this. In 1964, while they had done Paint Your Wagon and also Camelot, they also did My Fair Lady, which in 1964 won the Oscar for Best Picture. Right at the time of like that, Sound of Music, like expensive musicals presented on roadshows seemed to be the future of a changing Hollywood that was trying to deal with television, which yeah. everyone should just look up. Lindsay Ellis has an amazing video on this very topic. It's really uh, interesting, and I feel like uh, you might be asking, like, why is there a cowboy musical in 1969? Yeah. That's the reason why. People are having color TVs now. There's no reason to leave their house to see spectacles. So let's have a limited engagement, pricier thing that you can see. Uh, like in, It's like a rarity. It's like, oh, it's yeah. coming to town. We can see it now. You can't just see it whenever you feel like it. And also, it's part of it is being an, is being impressed expensive the opulence and ridiculousness of it is part of it like, yeah it which is a uh, similar to i believe El, uh, Lindsay ellis makes this point in her videos that they are the modern day marvel the movies they were the modern they were marvel movies for back then because marvel movies are like or, or so many tentpole things from disney or other corporations look how much money we spent can yeah. you believe it you gotta see it we spent all this money who's in it yeah i feel like this is also paint your wagon the real movie feels like part of the culture war where 
1969, civil rights, drugs, hippies, Vietnam. So many things are happening in America. Let's have an old-fashioned sing-along. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, in in this is framed very well in the book uh, Easy Riders Raging Bulls. Yeah, I think yeah. we mention every episode. It's the, one of the best books ever. <laughs> but yeah, that uh, Hollywood... Can you believe that Hollywood was risk-averse and didn't want to take chances in a changing social climate? <laughs> uh, but they were. And uh, even though... Films like Easy Rider were really, and Bonnie and Clyde were giving people, you know, the sex and violence and counterculture stuff they wanted. That is scary. That is scary to people who make movies. And instead, they'd rather, for the amount of money that they could make, like 18 Easy Riders, they'd rather make one giant musical and just get every star you can to try to get it, to try to get as many people as possible to see it. But also, sucked for this movie was for paint your wagon before it was camelot which that came out in 67 that already was a gigantic flop but they were committed they're like we're we're this far into making paint your wagon we gotta make it we can't not make it even after camelot failed times had changed i think sound of music was the last actually successful uh, one of those like big budget, super long. There's an intermission in the middle uh, yeah. of musicals from from major studios. It was fun to hear in that video about all the flops I didn't know were flops, like <laughs> Doctor Doolittle. Just oh like, yeah, boy, that was a major <laughs> waste of money. <laughs> one, we only knew these movies as like things that filled like four hours yeah. of stuff on TCM as kids or whatever. Like Doctor Doolittle is still on. It started at noon. It's like seven thirty. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about giant snail for so long. God. <laughs> I mean, again, watch the Lindsay Ellis video. One very fascinating thing that came out of that was all the merchandising that yeah. came out of these musicals, just like Marvel movies. Guess what, folks? They're going away. <laughs> Your precious Marvel movies that I've got to hear about before every fucking recording. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> We just talked about Captain Marvel for like 20 yeah, I know. Uh, no, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Bob. I'll well, tell you what. I'm not... Okay, I love you guys, but <laughs> yeah. every every Marvel movie, now Star Wars movie, just like, eh, I guess it was a movie. It was okay. It was fine. Like, what? <laughs> just stop going to them. Stop going to the movies. <laughs> Uh, well, You're right. We know yeah, that, though. Yeah. We, like, you, you can't just tell I, us that. I waste my time in so many ways. I am no guiltier than you, but I just, I, I want to help. <laughs> well, Bob, I, I know you're saying that Marvel movies could end, but as Homer said, everything lasts forever. That's so true. I believe <laughs> He's right about that. He's right about that. Uh, the difference between, like, wasting that much money back then and wasting it now is, like, CGI ages so poorly, even amazing CGI in its day. But when I watch one of those big musicals from back then, I'm still, like, Wow, there are like seventy extras doing a choreographed dance right now. That's inc- that will always be incredible yeah. to me and blow my mind because it just doesn't happen. And they're anymore. like full of animals dancing around <laughs> and stuff. No, yeah, that, yeah, those animals that got whipped and like <laughs> thrown to the ground and stuff. I'm just yeah. like, man, but they got a good performance out of them. Yeah, I know. I I will give it to Paint Your Wagon over, say, Infinity War because when I'm watching Infinity War, which I actually really enjoyed, I know mm-hmm. I'm watching people on a green screen everywhere. Like these actors weren't in the same room. This person wasn't there. Like this is all. I'm watching an expensive TV show. This doesn't feel like a movie, you know. And when I'm seeing, I didn't watch the. No fucking way was I watching two hours and 40 minutes of paint your wagon for to prepare for this but i did watch a bunch of clips from it and yeah and I, when i watched uh, it i was like this looks expensive and and impressively mm-hmm. 
expensive and how many extras. And they built a whole town. They built a whole fucking town in Oregon just for the movie. But the real money on the screen was the star power because they had Clint Eastwood, Lee Marvin, and also Gene Seberg, who doesn't come up as much. Oh, uh, she's beautiful. If you're a, if you're a film nerd and a total like fucking snob like me, me you too. know you know she's from Godard's <laughs> Breathless. Like she's the uh, Gene Seberg actually. She's awesome. Like she was a big time lefty in Hollywood. Like uh, I'll I'll get to more of that in a little bit. But the problem <laughs> with all of those Hollywood mu- musicals back then is you cast for star power, not for singing ability. Ah, <laughs> like the regular Russell Crowe all over this movie. That's oh, why. Oh yuck! Broadway <laughs> actors rarely got to transcend to film like even with as famous as we know julie andrews to be they didn't want her in my fair lady they wanted audrey hepburn because she's more famous and they could just dub over on her and speaking of audrey's the woman who played audrey in little shop of horrors actually made it to the movie that's and that see, was like one of the rare times because no one else could do what she was doing yeah that's true that you, you had to have her yeah right? but but in this case they're like no we need movie stars who can't sing clint eastwood a crappy singer gene seberg she gets dubbed over only one of the major songs sung in the movie is sung by a professional singer, uh, and that is uh, The Wind Called Mariah, which is uh, how they got the name for Mariah Carey. She's named after that song. After a paint your wagon song? Dear God. But, I mean, the greatest singer oh, of man. the film. Wait, wait. Okay, so like when I was watching this, uh, I watched the clip, and my, my reaction was like in Deep Space Homer. Is this a joke? No, Toby. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a joke. This is real. Uh, Well, here, why don't we play the Lee Marvin clip before we hear the real Lee Marvin? (laughs) Wait, wait. Here comes Lee Marvin. Thank God. He's always drunk and violent. Uh, What the hell is going on in my town? (laughs) We're just painting this wagon. You got a problem with that? As a matter of fact, I do. (laughs) Mr. Spot. Well, grab a brush and join in. (laughs) Gonna paint your wagon. Gonna paint it fine. Gonna use oil-based paint, cause the wood is pine. that Lee Marvin could do such marvelous splits. He's dreamy. <laughs> okay, so uh, Dan Castellaneta, that's an amazing Lee Marvin. More range than the real yes. Lee Marvin. I also love the premise that this episode, sorry, this movie, this fake version of Paint Your Wagon is just about painting a wagon. Yes. They're going to sing about painting a wagon for two hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> that's actually, I, according to two sources I found, that's that's Harry Shearer in his only role in this episode, I believe. Uh, it sounds a lot like Dan, Dan to me. I think yeah. it's Dan. I, yeah. I was confused, and I was like, who? And I thought it was Dan, too, but I looked it up. But maybe uh, maybe he's miscredited. But I, I like that he does the droopy, uh, like he pulls his mouth to the side yeah. to, to put an echo into it. But uh, the real Lee Marvin is actually a much worse singer than that. Um, So here he is in the actually the biggest like chart topping hit from the movie. This was on the charts. Move over, Beatles. (laughs) Uh, This is Wandering Star. Do I know where hell is? Hell is in hello. Heaven is goodbye forever. It's time for me to go. Star. 
<laughs> uh, they got the guy who played Lurch to dub his voice. Yes. Well, it's also hilarious that Marge says that he's a marvelous dancer. He doesn't dance in the movie. He just fucking he, walks across the screen. He, mo- he moseys. Yeah. He does not dance. Oh, God. It's hilarious. I mean... That Wandering Star, it comes back around to being a good song to me because it's just so bad. Like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, and as they, they say behind behind the scenes, he was drunk every day. His character, he was method acting because his character of Ben is a drunk. Only who, 44 years old. Yep. Jesus yeah. Christ. He, well, he'd mm. seen some shit. Well, also, again, World War II vet, so I think he's drinking yeah. away some things. But that's, uh, like, that's like eight years older than me. But if you... <laughs> He was only six years older than Clint Eastwood in this film. He's he's playing him like he's 15 years older. But uh, if you want to know how that song sounds when sung by a better singer, uh, here's Robert Goulet, previous Simpsons uh, singing <laughs> Wandering Star. That's how a cowboy's supposed Boy. to sing. I can't believe his manager told him to shut up. <laughs> Vera? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, pay your wagon, two hours and 40 minutes long. What's it about? Well, it's a tale of a gold rush town in California full of vice, and that's eventually swallowed up by the earth as punishment from God. Uh, mm. But it also features a happy poly relationship between Lee, Clint, and Gene Seberg. Mm. There's a bit where... There's a devil's threesome in the movie? Well, I... Oh my God. <laughs> Lee and Clint... And this, I think they make it clear that they don't engage in anything. Uh, it's so the the plot is that Gene Seberg's character she was married to Ben, but Ben, as he says, he's a wanderer. He he leaves. I was born t- a wandering goes, cuck. He, so he leaves, <laughs> uh, and she gets together with a character named Pardner. Everybody just refers to him as Pardner the entire movie. Uh, sucks. You have to watch the film itself <laughs> to find out his true name. I won't spoil it here, but uh, but that's Clint Eastwood. So she ends up with this young guy, Clint Eastwood, who doesn't drink, and the in the middle of the movie they're like okay you got to pick between us and gene's like i love both of you who says a woman can't have two wives and they kind of talk sing about like well you know a mormon man came with multiple wives i guess a wife could have two husbands sure and then the intermission comes and then that's the intermission and so uh they they are happy in their uh trio relationship until until about the middle of the movie when more bad things happen and then lee lee marvin ultimately well so in the play in the stage production his character dies but uh, they let him live and he just leaves town and clint clint ends up with with gene seberg at the end of it yes the film is garbage you don't want to see it the gossip behind the scenes though is some great stuff though i don't want to hear this uh well so first off yes lee marvin total drunk there was a story that joshua logan had like was peed on by lee marvin like marvin didn't like his direction and pissed on his boots but uh but josh part of the threesome (laughs) well but though then joshua logan refuted it by saying hey i'm friends with lee marvin and he was a drunk but also on the days he was that drunk he would not have had that good of aim to piss on my boots he couldn't do it damn (laughs) meanwhile the clint clint eastwood also says that lee marvin taught him to drink on this movie like that he was not much of a drinker before beforehand and uh and yeah that uh, like in multiple scenes you'll see it lee marvin they say that's real whiskey he's drinking everybody drinks like tea or whatever in movies but he was drinking it meanwhile clint eastwood was being a real piece of shit uh because he was having an affair on the set with gene seberg uh i mean who wouldn't she leaves but she thought it was 
not just an onset fling. Uh, she divorces her husband and uh, assumes she's going to be with Clint Eastwood. When, it, according to her, when they went back to Hollywood, uh, he didn't talk to her at all, and they uh, were not. He just ghosted her, as the kids would say. And not only that, but Clint was dating another woman on the set at the same time. He was two timing her on top of the woman who wasn't on the set two timing her. Uh, and it, uh, Gene Seberg, if you know the her sad life, like yeah. this Clint Eastwood breaking her heart in 1968 or nine when the film came out, like uh, that uh, didn't help her mental health. Though she was also being stalked by the FBI at the time. Yeah, listen to the You Must Remember well, This podcast series, Gene and Jane, about Jane Fonda and Gene Seberg. It's very good. It's very yeah. good. Uh, it, a short, I mean, she was support openly supporting the Black Panthers, which like even like a famous Hollywood liberal like Peter Fonda would not support the Black Panthers like that. That was a, a wild thing to do back then. And uh, that's also kind of why this is one of the last times she started in a major motion picture. Also that though, I, I think to, it feels slightly sexist that they could be like, oh, your box office poison. Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood can keep starring <laughs> and stuff. They, it's not their fault. Uh, another behind the scenes thing. Lee Marvin was given a million dollars to do this movie, which is why he did this movie instead of the wild bunch. A like he, him, Look, William Holden's great in The Wild Bunch. He's amazing. Lee Marvin would be 10 times better in that role and making it even more the perfect Western. Five times drunker. Oh, yes. I mean, oh, you think William Holden wasn't drunk? I yeah. mean, <laughs> I, I feel like every celebrity was an alcoholic by today's standards. They had racists, like all of them 50 years ago. But, uh, and yes, they, part of the huge, the film was double what it was supposed to be in cost. Ended up being over $20 million, which uh, by today's standards is like $150 million, but still a lot of money. And uh, they built a full town set. They exploded the town at the end of production to just be like, fuck this. Good. <laughs> and also when Robert Evans uh, took over Paramount, this was one of his most hated films because he's like, I'm stuck with this. He took over in 69 and he was just stuck with releasing this piece of shit movie. Would I have made the movie? No. <laughs> in in his book, he calls it a movie for no one. Mm. That's that's what which I think is correct. And mm. uh, and from then on, Robert Evans at Paramount would work much on smaller budget, hipper films like Love Story, or if he was going to do something big budget, it would be a prestige film like The Godfather. Mm. Well, we will do Kidnotorious for what a cartoon oh. if you pay us oh, yeah. enough money. If you pay us enough money. That's oh, another God. show I watched every episode of. Isn't I it? also did that. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a Clint cartoon Eastwood on television. loves three ways. Have you guys seen The Mule? He has two three ways in that movie. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. No, I have not seen that. The movie from last year. Wow. When he is 104 years old. <laughs> he also, uh, I don't know, if, have you guys ever been to the town Carmel uh, in Southern California? No, no. I know he was the mayor of it, though. Oh, right. Yeah, he was the mayor. I learned that after I got, after we got there. We like showed up <laughs> in the town and we're like there all day and then looked I was just like, why are there so many pictures of Clint Eastwood here? And then I Googled it and was like, oh, he was the mayor for like four years in the 80s. I think Clint Eastwood is like an, an, an very, he's an incredible filmmaker. He makes great movies. Uh, he also likes wow, sucks. Like he's, I, well, I love Unforgiven. I, I really hmm. love Letters to Me with Jima. Uh, let's see. And he's a great actor, but uh, but also like he sucks. I, <laughs> I mean, he also he doesn't have to make a movie every year. That's for fucking sure. Is the singing better yeah. in this or in Gran Torino? 
Mm. <laughs> I think he at least leans into his badness. He's also, Serena sounds like Cookie Monster singing a ballad. <laughs> uh, so, some Clint Eastwood memories I have too of hearing his singing is that he he sings a he sings a song on the soundtrack for Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which is a good movie. I like that movie. Mm. He sucks at singing in it though. It feels like a very uh, ego driven mood uh, uh, to be like, no, I'm I'm on the soundtrack. I'm singing. And I remember as a kid thinking like, oh man, Clint Eastwood, he can't sing, but man. That Kevin Spacey, a voice of an angel. He's going places. <laughs> Hopefully prison. Hopefully directly to jail. Yeah, I uh, I guess last thing I'll say about Paint Your Wagon is if you want an expensive Western that came out in 1969 that's also two hours and 40 minutes long, watch Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. That's a way better mm-hmm. overlong it, Mega indulgent western. You know what? This movie's not on Blu-ray. McCabe and Mrs. Miller. That's the one. Oh, I mean, that that's seventy-one. Yeah, that, that movie was amazing. But paint your wagon. Not on Blu-ray. <laughs> Get petition signed now. We need 4K release. <laughs> yeah. Actually, if I were to uh, yes, if I were to put up my um, Genius at Work shirt here, oh, I would also say that paint your wagon was not on the shelf at my blockbuster when i worked there oh no i never in any video store i saw it it's not it wasn't one paramount wanted to put on vhs it was pretty rare to see any movies released before 1981 at most major blockbuster rental places it is on uh dvd okay but, I mean, just uh, for yeah. collectors, that's it's for. Okay, and then, but yeah, them singing a song about Paint Your Wagon, it feels like a funny precursor to Guys and Dolls, yeah. or just a bunch of crazy, just, they make up the title song for a musical that doesn't exist and is hacky to have. <laughs> it's I, I love that gag, and... Though I do think that uh, that Lee Marvin is dreamy in some of his photos. Like, it's a weathered, not in Paint Your Wagon. He has grown quite a mustache that I'm, I'm not so <laughs> into. But, He's a silver fox. <laughs> but if you've seen him in uh, in Point Blank, uh, he's, he's re- he is a handsome man. He's... Uh, he has a, a bullying charisma to him. Uh, also, uh, the line about the right paint to use on pine, Bob Vila agrees. Uh, Oil-based hmm. paint is the better one to use on pine, though Bob Vila also suggests that you should always put on a primer first regardless of paint uh, hmm. type. He's so a Bob I trust. the day I die. I'm never giving it up. <laughs> so once uh, once they, they and us are done with Paint Your Wagon, <laughs> Uh, Homer mm-hmm. violently ejects the video into the garbage can, which is not <laughs> theirs. Like he, that's the blockbuster. Pay top dollar for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're going to charge you a lot of money for losing that tape. But uh, that's such a funny. I can't believe I haven't seen that gift everywhere. I'm going to gift that and start using it. That's I wrote a good. It in my note. That's such a funny thing of it just flying out of the VCR into the trash can. <laughs> like if someone posts a video you don't like, that'd be a great reply. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're inventing memes right here. Children wouldn't understand that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But as Homer violently rejects this musical, he actually rejects all musicals. Why do they have to screw up a perfectly serviceable wagon story with all that fruity singing? I thought it was toe-tapping fun. Singing is the lowest form of communication. Homer, you sing all the time. No, I don't. I hate to rhyme. You like musicals, don't you, Dad? No, I don't. I think they're bad. They're fake and phony and totally wrong. Wake up, Dad. You're singing a song. I wouldn't. I couldn't. I hate that stuff. Now, Homer, listen. I've had enough. In our family videos, we have plainly seen you're a singing, dancing entertainment. 
Machine. So this episode is not canon, but uh, mm. if you think of the conceit for it that March has videos of all of these things, like, <laughs> where were the cameras, March? Yes, you were shooting yeah. coverage? What's happening? <laughs> but uh, They tape the show just like me. Yeah. They, have their, they have their Simpsons family VHSs just like me. But uh, the first two songs we have are Baby on Board, yes. and uh, we put the spring in Springfield, because I guess they're both led by Homer. Yeah, they... The songs are kind of categorized. They, yeah, they do an interesting job of categorizing, and also I, I do appreciate that the script... And songs were written knowing what clips they were going to play. Like I at least like that forethought. It doesn't. It makes it feel like they worked a little harder on it than just shoving together clips. Just in general, I think the the wraparounds are like amazing. Like the the pay your wagon part is beautiful. It is new backgrounds and sets mm-hmm. and all new character designs. Like they definitely put some work into this. Art saying like I hate to dance and prance and sing like his choreography in that little shot is one of my favorite little pieces of animation acting i think ever he's bob fossying is that <laughs> yeah. what that little maneuver it is, a little, is? a little fossy yeah. Yeah. yeah so in my first viewing as a child of 15 <laughs> um i i didn't know what this episode was and so in, same here yeah when they say you always sing and marge reaches for the tapes no. that was when i like scream like this is a clip show. Fuck. <laughs> fuck. We thought we were safe. <laughs> I was sure it was over. Because there was no clip show in season eight. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of were doing it every other season. Four, six. No, yeah, it was four, six, seven, nine. That, yeah. Those were the clip shows. So the the concept, they worked harder on this than they had to. Like, they could have just, I mean, I'm shocked Merkin didn't just, maybe he was told, like, you can't be as uh, as cynically lazy as yeah. you were in the last one on this. I wanted to know songs that weren't in this that they didn't use. I feel like they definitely could have. But, I mean, there's only so much time in it. But, like, no Camp Krusty, uh, no Senior Burns, no Sherry Bobbins, no sending our love down the well. No Dr. Zayas. Happily, no happy birthday, Lisa. Um, oh, thank God. Or mediocre presidents. I would have liked to have heard yeah, mediocre presidents. I think the thing was, like, a lot of those songs were not sung by Simpsons family members or led by them. Or the more popular characters on the show. There's also no Capital City song either. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. Like, like, Camp Krusty, just all the kids. Uh, Senior Burns is uh, some guy <laughs> that's in Tito Puente's band. Um, I mean, Phil Hartman is the one guest who gets to sing in this. No other yeah. guest star songs are used. Like, same mm. with Flaming Moe's. They didn't use the Flaming Moe's theme, which... And- that's sung by Kip Lennon too, right? We also, we didn't say no streetcar songs. They could have yes, done a streetcar yeah. montage in this too. I think streetcar is the real one missing because they really stick to like show tunesy kind of songs. Yeah. But I also think they're kind of going for like spontaneously singing into song. And when it's like, that's because the one I was like, where is Dr. Zayas? And I'm like, I guess they're watching a musical. It's not the same yeah. as the other songs. I guess, yes. If the point is that everyone in town bursts into song for no reason, seeing a musical, that's the reason they're singing. So you're right. It does yeah. it does lose that though. Oh, and another favorite I wish I'd heard in this was uh, Lisa's Union song. Song. I, I think that's a lot mm-hmm. of fun too. Mm-hmm. Now play classical gas. But uh, <laughs> yes, we start. Our first clip is Baby on Board. Uh, my only new thoughts on this are that uh, since we've done this one, Disney now owns The Simpsons. So the Dapper Dans have to sing the song on Main Street. They better. Uh, and also with some of the stuff I had that, that exact conversation two days ago I swear oh. to god I, I brought that up like at a hangout with my friends though Jeff we we mentioned it to Jeff Martin and Jeff Martin is like eh, it's not as famous now the Dapper Dance probably won't sing it but uh, mm-hmm. I, I hold out hope 
Also, with some of the stuff they cut in other songs that I'll note when we get to them, I'm shocked they kept in Human Fly. Yeah. That's so unneeded and unnecessary. <laughs> but I mean, uh, it was during the song, so it'd be hard to chop that out because yeah, you're chopping out part of the song. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I love Human Fly. Yeah. A, cl- a classic <laughs> But it's funny that these contain plot elements that don't make any sense if you haven't seen the episode. Like, why is Wiggum <laughs> going to arrest them? Yes, yeah. If that's, you have not seen that episode. The joke is just the extremeness of it, I guess. Then, yeah. Then we, we go to Spring in Springfield, another amazing high watermark for the show. An Emmy-winning song, I believe. I believe so. Yeah, and the only cut in here is one of the funniest gags of when we're saying, like, we could tear it down. Yeah, yeah. We no, no, could. no. Yeah. We could... But so they they cut that for for time purposes. Let's just start with you can close demos. Yeah, yeah, it just goes yeah. right to the song. We uh, I again just visited Universal Studios. The instrumental version of this from the credits is one of my favorite songs to hear walking around mm-hmm. Universal. It's it's a real favorite of mine. Uh, but yeah, so we get those two songs, which the, they that fills out the act, and uh, we get to hear. Well, actually, we get uh, we get Bart commenting on it then, and Lisa calling Bart gay. Mom was right. Your singing's a sin. You're as lame as a raw blade as Lee Marvin. <laughs> sure your dad singing could make your hair curl. But you too, Bart, have sung and danced like a girl. Eep. Eep. Bart is a little homophobic there, I gotta I say. I mean, uh, the next one is Lisa calling him a... a- Basically, a gay they're all man saying you're a sissy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I mm. yeah. though though I will say it is a rather gay, clever turn of phrase to call somebody as lame as Arable as Lee Marvin. Yeah, like, that's uh, <laughs> that's too clever for Bart. You need to know mu- popular musicals of 1997. I mean, Bart is Bart is like uh, he's into musicals the way he dances and sings and everything. He's yes. just trying to cover it up. But well, Bart um, also knows all the rules of beauty pageants too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and ballet, or was that after this? No, this was That's before funny. this ballet yeah. too. He's, oh, ballet! Okay, yeah. He plays a fairy or a queen in, uh, in ballet. <laughs> but That's, I, this is what kept me out of musical theater as a kid. Is my dad saying no? That's that is a that is a woman's and a gay man's uh, business. Mm. You are not allowed to do that. All yeah. these poor. I feel bad for all these poor straight men who just want to enjoy musicals, and then they're told like you're you're gay for doing so. That's sad. I mean, don't say poor straight men. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Actually, yes. What am I saying? What about me? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Bob, you didn't talk much about your love of musicals. They're fine. You, okay. I think I was. Uh, I think I was probably you know enforced to not liking them just mm. by like the rules of society. I do mm. like. I do like musicals. I, I'm not like uh, running out to see them, but uh, I love Little Shop of Horrors a lot. I have the soundtrack to that. That's a great. I love that. And too. I know all the songs by heart. I've sung in a karaoke. Yeah. Even. <laughs> oh, we got to do that next karaoke. Well, did you do? Uh, well, I mean, you do love a Disney animated film. Oh, that for is sure, a yeah, yeah. Which uh, that, that was the argument I had with my dad is he would be like, I don't like musicals, and I'd be like, we watch, we see every Disney movie and have all the soundtracks, and he's like, that's different, and I'm like, no, it's not, and I would be like, Howard Ashman, it's like, and I would like try and explain, and he would just shut me down. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, Howard Ashman, there's a great, I think it's it's on either Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin. They have a documentary about just him, the uh, mm-hmm. the the lyricist for so for multiple of the hit Disney films who died of AIDS when after Aladdin was. 
released. He, when they hired him to start working on Little Mermaid, they talk about how he gave a presentation of like, you're not making cartoons, you're making musicals. I'm going to give you all a crash course in musical, big budget musical history and tell you how to make these. And they all talk about Mm -hmm. how incredibly informative that was and how that reframed them creatively to be like, oh, that's what we're making. We're not, we're not making an animated talking animal film. These, he these is uh, one of my favorite people in history. Uh, I will, I do have to correct you. I'm sorry. He died before Aladdin came out. Uh, Although Aladdin, Aladdin was his baby. He pitched Aladdin. He was the mm-hmm. one who was like, you should make Aladdin. Here are most of the songs. He didn't get to finish it. And then Alan Menken took over and took, gets all the credit for it. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I'm a little bitter, but Alan Menken, even though he's a genius, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, but he basically, yeah, he, he did exactly what you said. He showed up. He basically like, I think he should have a co-director credit on beauty and the beast. Huh. Like if the stories about him were true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the documentary waking sleeping beauty, uh, which is about the fall and rise of Disney from the mid eighties to the mid nineties is like mostly about how he saved Disney. Like mm-hmm. he is the guy that, He's the reason that they became what they were in the 90s, I think. I remembered one other uh, musical soundtrack I like. That's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, It's the best Disney soundtrack of the 90s, period. Best musical of the 90s. That movie kicks ass and it's so underrated. What's that? That movie is so underrated and kicks ass and it's mostly because of the music. And I bought the soundtrack on CD when I was 14 and I was like, am I going to be beaten up in the store? (laughs) (laughs) Generals suck, everybody. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. One last Howard Ashman story I remember, too. They talk uh, in Aladdin. One of the most important songs to him was Proud of Your Boy. But when they're changing the movie after he's left it they're like aladdin has to be an orphan he can't have a mom that he sings a song to even though that was such an important song to howard ashman so they have to cut it they cut the song because he can't sing that song to a mom that's not there didn't they animate that at a certain it's point definitely time? boarded okay it's, yeah you can you can mm-hmm. see yeah, you, a board you can watch version. like parts of it world party your world and jeffrey katzenberg tried to cut it and he oh. was like he was like the angriest you can ever imagine a man <laughs> for obvious reasons. I got to say, every story I hear, I thought it was Eisner I'm supposed to hate, but every story I hear of Jeffrey Katzenberg, I'm like, you sound like the mm-hmm. real villain of he this. sounds much worse. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's the real bad one. Eisner, Eisner is just... He's just a dumb guy who <laughs> was like... Eisner, I don't think, is evil. I think he was just too full of himself. And, like, he deserves a lot more credit than i think modern disney fans give him like if you like you know splash mountain like a lot of things like he he facilitated a lot of that coming out your 80s love of disney is you can thank michael eisner for kids i miss seeing his glowing personality on tv (laughs) bob Bob Iger (laughs) doesn't even try to do that he's just like i'm bob Iger. i i maintain it i maintain a goliath that's all i do Anyway, after Marge uh, calls Bart a sissy, um, we get uh, Bart and Milhouse going crazy Broadway style. They even have them drinking the squishy, which I was surprised they kept all that in. I They could just go straight to them saying, let's go crazy Broadway style, and then they do the whole song. It's a good visual gag, though. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. I love that joke. What's it like, Bart? 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 <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Yes, when we come back from that song, that that is when Lisa further smears Bart. Man, Lisa should be more progressive than this. <laughs> uh, and then we get our first commercial break. That was pretty bad, Bart, but it could have been worse. You could have been carrying a sequined purse. I hate to <laughs> dance and prance and sing. That's really more of a millhouse thing. I think you move like a young Baryshnikov. Nobody move or I'll blow your heads off. Ooh. 
Uh, Bart even does the whole limp wrist thing when he says yeah. Milhouse. So yeah, we more furthering the fact that Milhouse could be gay. Yeah, that's but what in everybody the future, He's married to Lisa. Yes, yeah. So he, could, I mean, sexuality is a spectrum, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. Don't put don't put labels on Milhouse <laughs> for him. If he wants, he can identify however he wants. That's that's the power. That's the power of gender, man. Uh, no, the uh, yeah. Also, Merkin. So Merkin brings it up on the commentary. This is a classic Merkin fuck you. Yeah. He knows it, but <laughs> the it is, now that I know more about sitcom writing, you have to have stakes at a commercial break so people come back to watch it. It's so funny now that I realize what he's doing. So every time it's a commercial break, Snake will appear for 10, 20 seconds, threaten everybody, and then once you're back from commercial, like, actually, I have to leave. And he leaves. And that's it. And then he'll come back for the next commercial. That's also, all they do. It's so it's so hilariously cynical. Sorry, Bob. It's also funny that uh, this kind of lighthearted story about a family like sharing memories is interrupted every five minutes with a home invader <laughs> that will shoot them all in the head, including the baby. With a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, they kind of forgive that uh, Snake tries to murder them. Again, this is non-cotton. So yeah. it doesn't count. But hmm. uh, is that the joke you were talking about earlier? Because that's the one I was. Oh yes. well, that's after the we're second getting to commercial it. We're getting break. To it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but it's also funny to hear Azaria says on the commentary. It's uh, it's really hard to sing in Snake's voice, but uh, he does he does <laughs> his best here. Uh, and yes, this this backing track on them, and also this kind of this kind of talk singing very much reminds me of Les Mis and Phantom here as as Marge mm. talks. Oh yeah. It's a desperate criminal on the run from the law. Please spare my children. And their damp trousered paw. A singing family. It's worse than I feared. <laughs> For hostage purposes, you're just too weird. Bye. He's <laughs> gone. See, all this singing scared him away. If we just talk like normal, he'd probably stay. <laughs> <laughs> Many people in this town sing like we do. There's Mr. Burns, there's Krusty, and even Apu. This is one of two times that Homer's disappointed when Snake leaves. He's so sad. <laughs> he misses him. So we get uh, Who Needs the Quickie Mart, which is great. Uh, yes. Send in the Clowns by Krusty, which is, uh, I think they could have replaced that with something else. Yeah. There's some good, yeah. like, Brad Birdie poses in there. I, I, schmaltz. When he's yeah, saying Schmaltz. schmaltz. Filled by the bowlful. Yeah, I, uh, I'm surprised they used Krusty in this. Like, this could have been mediocre presidents. I think that really yeah. would have lifted it up more. But mm-hmm. I guess the theme they were going for with this clip package is they have to be sung by one. It can't be the whole town singing. It's sung by one person, and it can't be a member of the family. Like, that That was their choice. And See My Vest is the last in this one, which is my favorite. And yes. uh, I found out from the commentary that Mike Scully wrote that all on his own. He just went off and wrote it, and it was so perfect. So if you don't like huh. Mike Scully, he wrote See My Vest. <laughs> So get over it if you don't like Mike Scully. Yeah, come Seriously. on. Uh, see, my vest also has another one of my favorite little acting flourishes when he goes, I really liked the vest. Like the little motion he does when he flips the vest and like, oh, yeah, like he, gets up on his like toes for a second. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> I gathered, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, Send in the Clowns is a Sondheim song from his musical A Little Night Music, which is based on the Igmar Bergman film Smiles of a Summer Night, which oh. I watched last night without wow. knowing that. Well, wow. So that's the one song in this compilation that is actually an existing song. That, they, that it's, all so. it's all new lyrics. It's all new lyrics. They wrote their yeah. own, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's new oh, lyrics, yeah. and, but it's not a, it's, he's trying, it's at least he's singing the song. There are a couple direct parodies, of course, in like, 
but that's the most like you you're supposed to believe he's singing that song. He just sings yes. it wrong. I feel like Sondheim must have been paid though for that. Like they use there's there's also Probably. something interesting on the commentary too that Merkin brings up about how lawyers don't let them have fun anymore. He's like, They're the fun police. <laughs> well, because his point <laughs> is that that it's all perfectly legal to do a parodic song. Like you can do uh there's there's a great Nathan for you where he's like, I can sing any song as long as I change the lyrics, but <laughs> Yeah, technically that's true, but no lawyer or corporation wants to test that in court. They're like, it's legal, but uh, change it more so just in case we we might get sued anyway. Like, so that's why he says on here, like, see my vest and send in the clowns are too close. He's like, lawyers wouldn't let us do this more now. They're too close to the real song. I love what a fun mm-hmm. troll David Merkin is. Yes, on yeah. commentaries <laughs> and, and on the show. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a funny guy. someday, someday I want to talk to that Merkin. Mm-hmm. But I love how he uh, explains every single joke as it happens. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I, oh, another great <laughs> troll. <laughs> He's always like, yeah, and here what's happening is uh, Homer has hit the eject button and the tape flies out. Tapes don't really do that, but uh, it's a cartoon, so we did it anyway. There's another great commentary troll he does, which is in Bart's comment, he says, you know, I've never seen anybody say this on the internet, but there's Waldo in here. A lot of people never notice it. And it's like, he knows everyone said that on the internet, but he's like t- teasing. There's, there's also like a dark joke about uh, Phil Hartman on this yes, uh, commentary yeah. that I thought was funny. I did like that, yeah. But, uh, oh, and Speaking of things I noticed for the first time, I this is the first time I caught the lyric that Homer says, they're damp trousered paw. Okay. Which mm-hmm. meaning meaning he pissed himself. He'll have two peeing himself jokes in this show. Um I had I could never understand what he was saying. And that's that's why I used it as my intro line of this episode. Cause I had I Googled it finally. I looked it up Freakiac. I was like because I was, I just assumed depth trousered meant like deep trousered, like he's fat, like uh, he has a big yeah. butt, so he has deep trousers. I guess it's hard but to no, hit the it's damp trousered. It's hard to yeah. hit the aspirated P when you're singing, like damp yeah. trousered. You have to pause to yeah. aspirate that. Don't aspirate your P's, everybody. <laughs> you're going to just spit everywhere. Uh, oh, and also uh, new information we have since we did the Homer and Apu episode. Dan McGrath, in our interview with him, he told us how they wrote that uh, Who Needs a Quickie Mart yeah. song in the writer's room. And that uh, he he contributed to that. And I'm glad in this clip package they kept the I do. Like, it's they could have just ended with the not me. Yeah. Well, in the syndicated version, they cut the I do. Oh, that's bullshit. I'm pretty sure they do. That's bullshit. But man. who cares about that? Nobody watches those. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the Krusty song, I just love the posing on Schmoltz by the bowlful move. It's just so great. Oh, so no one corrects me. They cut the he lied to us through song. I hate when people do that part. Oh, okay. They fade away on I do. That's even worse. Yeah. Ugh, I hate that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, See My Vest is in my top five songs. If I were to, if my current favorite songs on the show, I think actually Plan of the Apes is my favorite song. I put Monorail behind that, right behind that. But it's it's in my top five. See My Vest is. <laughs> like Burns has never been more animated and the direction on that song is so cool. Yeah. Just like all the different outfits he's trying on. It's so great. Well, and speaking of cut gags, they cut the very famous joke of, of Bart humming the musical after hearing it. Oh, yeah. Like, I love that joke. <laughs> I like when they come back from See My Vest. Like, Lisa <laughs> has to explain how the rest of the episode went. Because, yes. like, let's give the viewers some context as to why Mr. Burns is doing this. If you've never seen this before and you're especially worried about dogs, you need to know these dogs are fine. Uh, Yardley Smith is a great singer uh, in this show. Like she's mm-hmm. underappreciated for her singing. She doesn't get to sing a- enough. Lisa does. 
I always think that I think I think it might have something to do with her using her voice and not doing as much of a voice as everyone else, but she is like a genuinely good singer. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure when Julie Kavner signed on to be Marge, she did not realize she'd be singing this much for the next thirty <laughs> years. And she does a great job in that voice. Yes. Which must yeah. be very mm-hmm. difficult. We we said it in the uh when she sings the all of the family song that she sings intentionally yeah. poorly in the Marge voice. Uh, but yeah, so after that clip package, it's time for another commercial break. So Snake knows it's time to return. Because he was singing, we overheard his plan and could save those dogs from that mean old man. It still wasn't worth Burns' song and dance. On Baxery Zoom, wetting your pants. Okay. <laughs> because of you all, I got a tune in my head. And the only way to stop it is to make you all dead. Ugh, I knew I should have shut that window. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I like that app, right? <laughs> uh, I like the false stakes. Also, it reminds me of other clip shows that were from the past where the characters will be locked into something or like in some sort of danger. And like, let's talk about the past that you're ourselves. Oh yes. Yeah. So the stakes Mm -hmm. were there to surround the boring clips. Like let's make this exciting in some way. Like, Oh no, we're, (laughs) we're locked in this cabin together or this freezer or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Trapped in an elevator. There's a great episode of, of that's my Bush about that, about, uh, he's watching TV and he's upset that it's <laughs> it's a uh, bottle episode and then someone explains bottle episodes to him huh. and they're like yeah when people have like problems on TV it's an easy way to get them to work it out without having to go anywhere else and then every pair of characters have a problem with each other and they all get trapped in a different part of the White House and they have to work it out throughout the rest of the episode <laughs> uh, that's a good you know I only remember I only watched the first episode of that show and really that was enough for me uh, it was I, a funny show it seemed that way but I, I just yeah you, you don't see a lot of uh, those two in their love of parodying sitcoms a lot in South Park. Yeah. It doesn't really come through a lot in South Park. Those are the best episodes of South Park when it's them making fun of comedy instead of trying to play both sides of a political issue. Well, like, now they're like, we're, 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 not, we're not doing that anymore. We're yeah. done with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're done being funny. Well, also, hilariously, I wish that my Bush never happened because it was... It would have been a better show with Gore, like the Gore mm-hmm. family and like making fun of Tipper Gore. Like the comedy doesn't work the same with George Bush, I think, honestly. Especially mm-hmm. post 9 11. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. They uh, also wrote a great musical, Cannibal the Musical. They've written many and, great And the musicals. South Park. Yeah. Movie, of course. No, actually, I was thinking when I saw the Paint Your Wagon thing in the beginning, it did remind me of Cannibal the Musical. Oh, yeah. And Book of Mormon <laughs> was the cool young people musical yes. before Hamilton was. It is, oh, yeah. It is a fun musical. I like it a lot. Uh, it's good. It's, it's a better actual musical than Hamilton, yeah. I think. Yeah. When it's not as dated as uh, Avenue Q, I'd say. Oh, too, yeah. Which, that's right. Yeah. Though I liked Avenue Q, even though, like, we get it. Puppets swear. Can you believe Ooh. it? Like, <laughs> I, they made I, a movie about that recently. <laughs> how? How? Ha! Uh, quit reminding me of Happy Time Murders. It's just like, I, I, my brain can't wrap my head around it. It's just, imp- oh, it's crazy that it's, happened. It's bad. So we come back from commercial break. And uh, yes, I believe this is the dark gag you were talking about, right, Bob? Yes, like, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. More so than I, th- I, mean, I, can, I can talk about it now, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, well, Snake is about to execute all of the family members. It's like fucking funny games over here. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, he points the gun in all their faces, and he pulls the trigger in all their faces once, and they all flinch, except for Maggie. So number one, he's going to kill a baby with a gun to the head. Specifically. And Maggie is like, 
fucking do it. Yeah, do it. Fucking do it, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) So I like Uh, that. Number one, he's willing to kill a baby on the screen in 1998. Yep. Number two, Maggie's like, I don't care. (laughs) I do not fear death. I'm Maggie. And she knows what what a gun is. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Maggie probably is like, no, there's no bullets in that gun. I fired a gun before. (laughs) Good sir. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, to come back from commercial break and pulling the trigger on them. Uh, Though, as a viewer, when you hear him use the word blammo before pulling the trigger, you know he's going to say he's out of ammo. Like, you know you know what the next line is. Uh, but here's Snake back after the commercial break. Say your prayers and that it's Kaplamo. Uh-oh, I'll be back when I get some ammo. Bye. <laughs> Even the criminals are beginning to prune. Homie, this whole town runs on a tune. Our churches, our clubs, our government too. Springfield swings like a pendulum do. And Bart just dances. Yeah, Bart is vamping. We can't even get any local laws passed without everyone singing. <laughs> like a big Broadway cast. Wow. Nice job, Lisa. Yardley goes yeah. for that, yeah. man. The, and the animation matches it, too. Like, her slide is, like, such a classic musical just slide. It's great. And the music there is amazing, too. That like That's genuine, just great musical music. The the filling time. Like, there's... This time, I had just a chuckle of how Marge says, well, everybody sings. And then she pauses for, like, four notes because they have to get to the next stanza. Like yeah. She's, she knows she can't <laughs> talk yet. And, uh, and then also, yeah, Bart knows, like, well, it's time for me to continue dancing. <laughs> it's not Elise's turn yet. So these are songs by the whole town. Uh, the monorail song, of course, is in there. The greatest. I think they could have replaced the, in the Garden of Eden. Um, yeah, yeah. In the Garden of Eden. I mean, this is, an, again, it's, they it's a real song that. They that they're to, doing yeah. a different arrangement of, but that's the one real song in this, I guess. A real yeah. meaning existing. I mean, it's it's yeah. the whole town singing, but again, yeah, I'd have done mediocre presidents. That's that, I, I mean, we don't even get the setup where Bart, Bart is handing out the um, the hymns, right? Do we? I think you see okay. him I was wondering, yeah, I, I totally forgot God. if we did get that or not. They don't cut anything from that. And also when watching it, I missed it when we did it the first time but there's a big fuck up in there of jasper's beard is painted flesh tone always bothers me that always bothers me (laughs) and also it's too many people moving though that's an expensive retake you know yeah and uh, is it is lou the black cop or is it eddie it's Uh, lou right yeah he's standing with uh lewis oh implying that he's his father in that scene so followed up on that yeah maybe he was just dating her mom his mom at the time could be (laughs) (laughs) Uh, then uh yeah also the from monorail the greatest song in the show's history i hartman getting to shine uh that's there they cut out from after how silly of me they cut out two minutes of uh, i counted it on frankie heck it's two minutes of content from from there of them talking about you know maude says what she'd want to do he said but homer says boring abe's big speech marge talking about main street all these things just get cut out to just and it to, begins with like a town with money is like a mule with a spinning wheel yes yeah it goes straight from how silly of me to town with money like and 
Yeah, Bob, you were saying there were some dark jokes about Phil Hartman on uh, the commentary of this bit, too. I forget what the actual joke was. Something about Hank uh, taking Phil Hartman's roles now that he's yes, gone or something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, and then Merkin's like, good, that's Hank Azaria for you, just waiting in the wings no <laughs> matter what happens. I think, though, they just try to lighten it because Merkin, I, I've heard in other commentaries when he's on there and they talk about Phil and they're just all depressed, he's like, God damn it, guys. It doesn't have to be this sad all the time. Like, he's... he's <laughs> He hates getting sad about it. Also, what they cut is one of the greatest moments in Simpsons history, too. Snrub. The, uh, oh, right, right. I cut. like the way Snrub thinks. <laughs> and also, Jeff Martin talked about that. This in his this song got him back on The Simpsons, in a way. He, uh, Conan performs it at the Hollywood Bowl concert they did about seven years ago. And that Jeff Martin, he gets a specific shout-out from Conan on stage that he wrote it with Jeff Martin. Jeff Martin's there in the audience, and at the show, apparently, James L. Brooks just asked Al Jean, you think Jeff would write another script for us? And it turned out Jeff would. That's how Jeff Martin went back and wrote new musicals for the show, all because Conan O'Brien gave a shout out to him on the stage we then end that with stone cutters if they're gonna go with one song to end it i think stone cutters is a very good choice it's great i wish it was longer though just yeah in general yeah it's still it's still a great song another top five song for me i love that we do is my favorite song that isn't sung by phil hartman uh, no, if you take out and you, monorail uh, and zayas you also got a Steve Gutenberg joke in 1998. Yes, so yeah. fresh. <laughs> <laughs> they, they weren't afraid of offending him. They kept that. They did not cut that. Yes. Yeah, so the songs are over. And now it's time for the Simpsons to dunk on themselves. All right, March. You've convinced me there are more terrible things than musical comedies where everyone sings. There is something worse. I love that the banner comes down. It tells you it's the fourth clip show. Yep. I think David Merkin wanted everyone to know, like, we had to do four of these. <laughs> and it even has the fucking production code. Yep. I love that. <laughs> I, that's in quotes. Like, just yeah. this is uh, to really get the behind the scenes shit on this. Like, they, I mean, they, he knew too. He right, uh, Merkin rightly guessed the audience is mad they had to watch a clip show. They, even if they watched all the way through, they know they wanted a real new episode of The Simpsons. So they may as well mock it. And also, so yeah, this is a start in 1998. It was old hat then, though Friends did like four fucking clip shows. Like everybody mm. did clip shows. Boy, those friends were expensive though. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the songs are over. I, I also do like the kick line that the kids do as they come in to say that it really does blow. <laughs> and uh, so as they finish singing, Snake returns finally to murder them. <laughs> I'm back to commit felonious assault because your infernal singing just would not halt. Actually, we're done. Done, done. And not a moment too soon. <laughs> oh, okay then. Well, then I got no beef with you. <laughs> okay, who wants dinner? Me, Well, let's get eaten. <laughs> Uh-huh. All right, all right. Sorry. <laughs> That's great. I love it undercuts the fake conflict even more where they could have just said the entire time, no, we're done. It's, yes. We're, we're done. They could have stopped singing at any point, but they they know the episode's over and the snake doesn't. Like He's like, 
oh, the episode's done. Okay, I'm, I'm gone. See ya. Mm-hmm. Like, especially the way Bart says, done, done. Like, episode's over. We, we got to go home. You're so done with this idea. <laughs> and, uh, and also, like, Snake, based on how the window is blown out, he was aiming for her head. Like, yeah, he, yeah. There were inches hmm. from hitting Marsha's face. The face. I like how she's mildly annoyed by being shot at. Yeah, all right, all right. And then Snake fires over the credits, and I think yes. kills the Gracie music lady. I think so, <laughs> yes. The Gracie music dude, as he refers oh, yeah. to her. You too. <laughs> you'll be able to, you'll hear all that over the over the uh, the credits for this episode, or I guess, well, I wouldn't say credits. Look, like, it takes us out. You'll, you'll hear. Yeah, you know what it is. Yeah, you you know. You've heard you've heard enough of these. You, you get it, folks. So I guess the, uh, I would say the 138th episode spectacular is my favorite. It's, yeah. it's a lot cheaper. Cheaper than this, I will say. The animation is not as good. The the wraparound segments are not as good looking. But I like how uh, much more cynical it is, even more than David Merkin. And uh, I love Phil Hartman in that uh, segment, but uh, in that episode. But this is probably the second best clip show. And I love all the original songs in it, especially "Paint Your Wagon." Like if this if this made "Paint Your Wagon" a song that I think of, of like once a week, it was worth <laughs> existing. So that's my final thoughts on all singing, all dancing. Yeah, one thirty eight is the best clip show. This is second. It, uh, you know, 138 was done digitally. So, yeah, this definitely looks way better because it is a normally animated episode and uh, with ink and paint. So, I do like that. I, you know, knowing that our uh, Hartman days are numbered, I do kind of wish they just mm. made it a sequel to 138 and we'd gotten more Hartman. Yeah. You know, actually, it would be really hard to repeat what they did because they had 138 used up so mu- many of their deleted scenes. They could they call back to more of them? Could they do more? And, and also, though, that's not Dave Merkin. Dave Merkin isn't a nerd for The Simpsons, you know? He's uh, Oakley and Weinstein were, and that's what made it such a great fan service thing. This this was more just like a greatest hits album, done done a lot more cynically, at least in clip collections. So, uh, But yeah, also the work, the work involved in doing musical numbers and writing original songs for it like that that is a lot of effort and i i appreciate that too so as as a send off to clip shows proper this is not a bad one yeah i i think this is one you shouldn't skip when you're going through the dvds just because i think the wraparound segments are so good and the songs are so good and and it's just you know I know there's not as much of a purpose to collect these songs these days, but it's still, it's an interesting curio uh, more so than I think the rest of the clip shows. But, uh, I, I am a, I'm a purist. So I only listen to the picking on series, uh, oh, bluegrass covers of these songs. <laughs> Matthew, uh, I can't believe you said that because when I was getting coffee today from my local place, they were playing a bluegrass version of stairway to heaven. I could not flee the area oh, faster. Oh God. I have not oh, heard any not, of these things. That's uh, worse than this. That's bad. Yeah, that's but really that bad. I do like that Simpsons album though. It's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it's you can just go on Spotify if you want to listen to these songs, I guess. But uh, but I like the wraparound segments. They're good enough. Okay. Well, yeah. we we laughed, we lived, we learned about Paint Your Wagon <laughs> yep, on this episode. Yeah. Oh, so much Paint yes. Your Wagon. This was a Paint Your Wagon podcast. I knew we'd get to two uh, close to two hours yeah. of that. Yeah. Prove us wrong, everybody. <laughs> but Matthew, we'll do our own plugs once we're off the line with you. Can you tell us where we can find you? You've got Patreons, you've got Twitters, you're you're really doing it out there in LA. I do my whole life as content and it stinks, but you know, 
it's, it's the gig economy. Uh, you can check out patreon.com says cartoons 101, where I do a podcast every week. Currently going through all the works of Satoshi Kon with a bunch of guests, including you guys, Paranoia Agent now, and uh, went through all of Neon Genesis Evangelion as well with a bunch of guests, including you guys. And I also interview animation creators like Bill Oakley, who was mentioned all the time in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Scott Gardner, creator of Moonbeam City. Uh, Jeff Trammell, head writer of Craig of the Creek. Uh, Brian Newton, director of Rick and Morty. Uh, all kinds of awesome awesome guests and also i host uh the deep end with my friend steve yurko uh which is a show all about every show ever aired on adult swim we're doing all of them including uh by the time you hear this uh we have an episode up with nick weiger where we talked about the john k Hanna barbera yogi bear and jetson shorts half yeah. of one of those is watchable <laughs> that's basically where we come down we're like part of this was good but we mostly just make fun of john k in the episode and yeah. uh, we also just had james urbaniak on and we interviewed him nice. uh, all kinds of good stuff there and if you go to patreon.com slash the deep end you get another weekly show uh, all about the venture brothers every single episode that's that's our favorite show so we're we're doing that and we're expanding that patreon a bit with we're going to do some streams and stuff patrons actually unlocked a stream that we're going to do soon where steve and i are going to watch a bunch of old cartoon network and toonami and adult swim commercials and just talk over them and we'll we'll do stuff like that so check that out yeah it's fun and also mitch live i produce uh mitch live the talk show host by mike mitchell which you can see at mitch.live or live in los angeles if you're here nice yeah Yeah, you're you're a busy bee man so Mm -hmm. we appreciate you finding the time to record with us today (laughs) yeah it sounds like i make a lot more money doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) well thanks again matthew for being on the show i'm sure you'll be back soon Oh, of course. Yes. Anytime, you guys. So thanks again to Matthew J for being on the show. He's a good friend of ours, and we can't wait to record with him again. I want to definitely do stuff with him in L.A. next time we're there. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be back in L.A. soon enough. And I I mean, he's had multiple guests on. I'm like, man, I want those guests. I want to steal these guests. <laughs> <laughs> Share your guests, Matthew, that's, please. That's why he actually has been very helpful yes. with us getting a few guests. He really that, has uh, been. Thank you so much, Matthew. Yes, thank you, Matthew. But as yes. for us, we are part of the Talking Simpsons Network. It's our full-time jobs, and we bring you so many great podcasts. If you want to support the show and get tons and tons and tons of bonus podcasts on top of that, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. And for the incredibly low price of $5 a month, you will have access to so many things, including every episode of this podcast and what a cartoon, our sister podcast one week ahead of time and ad free. And on top of that, you'll get access to our Patreon exclusive podcast, including exclusive series like talking Futurama, talking critic and the currently running talking of the hill and our second exclusive mini series in 2019. And so many more podcasts we've done in almost two years just for Patreon that will never be released for free. That's right. For just $5 a month, you'll get access to dozens and dozens of podcasts. Also, a ton of interviews that we've done with Simpsons veterans, many of which I reference here are Jeff Martin one, our Dan McGrath one, our most recent one with Josh Weinstein that we did in person in Los Angeles, California. You can listen to all of those only if you give it the low, low price of $5 a month. And you can even bump it up to the premium level for some really amazing content. That's right. We have a newer $10 premium tier called the What a Cartoon Movie Podcast, where each month we do a very, very long podcast about the movie our patrons choose for that month. Previously, we've done things like Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Kiki's Delivery Service, Akira, and a Goofy Movie. And this month we are doing The Secret of Nim. So check it out. It's a $10 tier, but we make all of those podcasts definitely worth it. They're super long. A ton of research goes into them. And if you sign up at the $10 level, you'll also get access to the many, many videos we made over the the past 18 months at that level before we replaced that tier 
with a podcast here because you just want podcasts from us and we love making them. <laughs> All of that's available to you at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. You get an RSS feed that's easy to plug into your podcast device of choice, or you can just use the Patreon app, which is actually good and useful. Wasn't that way a couple of years ago, but Very it's really true. good now. So that's the Patreon. So last time, patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Yes, as for me, I have been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. My other podcast is Retronauts. It's a classic gaming podcast every Monday and occasionally Friday. Please go to Retronauts.com or just look for Retronauts wherever you listen to podcasts. Find a topic that interests you if you like video games. Download that corresponding podcast and subscribe to the podcast. I think you'll like it, Henry. What about you? Hey, I'm Henry Gilbert. You can follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. I tweet out whenever new stuff goes live on the Patreon or else we're doing polls for our audience to pick what our next Patreon exclusive content's going to be and so much more. You'll stay very informed if you follow me on Twitter. H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week with Bart Carney. We'll see you then. Yo, I told you to stop the music, dudes. I'm serious. Oh, 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 you're so not listening. Okay, I hear that. I hear that, dudes! You too, Gracie Music, dude. God!